At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? When I was younger, I never understood why every family trip had to end in some sort of great argument or some sort of great uh, distress. I just didn't understand all of that. And it wasn't until, uh, anybody else like that? Anybody else have like family trips that end up like in disasters? Okay, so I'm not the only one. Um, the, uh, when we would travel and where, wherever we would go, inevitably there would be uh, devastating challenges and we'd always get at each other's throats and want to kill each other by the end of the trip. And as I got older, I, I began to question, like, why does this happen? And how can I make sure that this doesn't happen with my family when, when we uh, start having a family of our own? And, and I began to, to look, and what I realized that was going on with my family, there were nine of us. And so you had nine people trying to get on the same page to do kind of the same thing. And what I learned is that the problem lied in the fact that each one of us came into that family vacation with different expectations, like we, like especially the time we went to Disney, like I had the, the expectation that we were going to go to the Magic Kingdom and that I was going to be able to have lunch with Cinderella and that we were going to be able to hang out with Mickey. And we got there and my expectations were not met. I was frustrated. I couldn't even get close to the castle. And I remember just feeling frustrated because my expectations were not met. And, you know, I think a lot of times in, in life we feel that way, too. Like we, not, we have these high expectations, uh, of whether they're good expectations or bad expectations, and they don't get met. It can cause some frustration or it can cause us just to feel shaken in who we are. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Well, this morning, as we look at God's word, what we're going to see is God gives us some expectations, he, he, as he's sitting here with his disciples on the top, top of the Mount Olives, and he's giving them uh, instructions about what is to come, he wants them to know what to expect so that when it happens, their faith in him is not shaken. And what we're going to see today in God's word is that Jesus says that we are to expect suffering. When you go through life, Imagine and know that you are to expect suffering, that it is going to happen. At some time in our lives, we are going to go through seasons of suffering. And so today, as we are continuing our series today, as we're, we're looking at Jesus' discourse uh, in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 through this series, Jesus is talking about what is to come. And last week, we saw that Jesus, as he's taking his disciples away from the temple in Jerusalem, he tells them that this temple, this beautiful building, is going to be destroyed. And then he takes his disciples across the valley and up to the top of Mount Olives. While he's up there, the disciples come to him and they're like, Jesus, tell us, when is this going to happen? What are the signs of your coming and when is the end happening? And so they come to him with all these questions. And then last week we looked at Jesus as he begins to unfold these answers to the questions. 
He begins to tell them some general signs of things that are going to happen. That the life, the life on earth is not on a trajectory toward things getting better. He says, in essence, what's going to happen is like birth pains. What's going to happen is the earth and individual people and people on the earth are going to experience kind of these, these peaks in, in frustration, these peaks in pain. And as we move closer to the end, these great sources of pain are going to become more frequent and they're going to become bigger in scale. He says, but that's not the end yet. So life is moving in this direction. So be prepared for that. And so now Jesus is continuing today as we're going to look in verse 15. Jesus is helping his disciples be prepared for the destruction of the temple that is to come. And what we're going to look at today is, is uh, as we look at this this passage, what we're going to see is that Jesus tells his disciples to expect that suffering is going to become a reality. Expect to see seasons of suffering. Let's just begin in verse 15. He says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is his. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not been seen from the beginning of the world until now. No, not even, never will be. So we see here in this passage that, that Jesus is describing specifically a time of great suffering that is going to come. Now as we look at this passage, I want us to understand that the, this passage that we're going to look at, scholars throughout the ages have disagreed um, completely about when are all of these things going to take place. Now, generally speaking, even though the differences that are there in the scholarship doesn't mean that if, if someone uh, believes this way or someone believes this way, that it should cause us to break fellowship as Christian brothers and sisters. It's just open for us to understand that there are different ways of seeing this passage. And so some see this passage uh, and Jesus describing this destruction in this time of great tribulation as all having been taking, taking place in the past. So some would say Jesus is speaking currently as he's speaking. He's speaking about the future. But for us now in the year 2021, he's speaking about a time that happened in 70 AD when the temple was utterly destroyed and uh, during the Jewish wars. Now, there are others that say, no, no, no. What Jesus is doing is, here is he's talking about a time that's in the future, a time in which some great abomination of desolation is, is a future event. Well, then some come and interpret this and they take more of a blended view where they say, yeah, Jesus is most clearly in this context talking about the destruction of the temple that happens in 70 AD. But he also is talking about something that may or that is going to happen in the future. And so we look at all these views and, and we can see some validity in all of them. But today, as we're going to look at this passage, I'm going to come from the perspective of everything that Jesus is talking about or what Jesus is talking about here most specifically is what getting ready for what is going to happen to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Because when you look at the context and, and Jesus' words here specifically, it seems as though he's talking about something that is really near and something that is, that is going to happen and helping prepare them. 
It doesn't see as though Jesus is, is using language that is specifically talking about sometime in the future that's thousands of years later. He's talking about something that is more imminent. And so as Jesus wants his disciples to be prepared for the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, we see this term abomination of desolation. The term abomination appears more than 100 times in the Old Testament and just a few times in the New Testament. The word abomination is, is a word that's used generally for a great sin. So an abomination is a great sin that is worthy of death. And when we see this word abomination in Scripture, usually it's talking about the abomination or the great sin of idolatry. And so Jesus here is connecting the destruction of the temple that's going to happen to the prophecy of Daniel. So in Daniel's day, back in, as Daniel was prophesying, there were two times specifically that he talked about this abomination of desolation in Daniel 9 and in Daniel 11. And so Jesus here is pulling back to saying, hey, what Daniel is talking about, this abomination of desolation is, is going to happen in the near future. And so scholars generally agree that the first reference in Daniel chapter 9, referring to this abomination of desolation, was when Antiochus, who ruled Palestine from 175 BC to 64 BC, this Antiochus, who was this leader, came and treated the Israelites' nation with much violence and so much contempt. He came in and was evil. And as the, the people of God began to rebel against him, he began to suppress their rebellion. He used extreme force um, and came inside of the temple and he stood on the altar. And while he was on the altar, he slaughtered swine, which we know anything from Jewish history, anything that has to do with pigs because pigs were unclean. And so this abomination, this great sin of idolatry as, as uh, Antichrist comes into the temple and he even sets up a, a throne to Zeus. This is a great abomination because of its idolatry. And so Daniel is, is pointing towards that. But then Jesus goes back to Daniel and he predicts another abomination that is going to come and it comes in 70 AD. We see Rome at the time was a, a great abomination. As if you think about the way that they set up their form of government. The emperor of Rome was always seen as a god. And even inside of the temple during this time, what had happened is that the, um, that the, the Caesar had required that inside of the temple that sacrifices be made unto him. We also know that the Roman army was, was known to, to be an abomination because they would war on their jerseys or war on their uniforms, images of the emperor who they worshipped. And these armies brought desolation because their commander Titus, as he came uh, towards uh, Jerusalem, destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. There was so much death and so much destruction that was to come. 
that we see this even uh, parenthetical note in there. So let the reader understand what Jesus is saying as his words are going out to the disciples and as Matthew is writing this down and it's to go out, he's saying, hey, let, let the reader, when you read this, heed this as a warning that this is coming. When you see the armies of Rome approaching the city of Jerusalem, get out because it doesn't mark a good time of peace that is coming. There's going to be a great time of suffering. So when you see the armies coming, if you're in Judah or Judea, flee. Get away from the city. Go up into the hills where you can find mercy. What I see here is a beautiful thing that we see throughout all of Scripture. That marked throughout Scripture, we see both God's judgment and his mercy somehow interplaying together throughout the course of history. Right? We see this great words of horrendous judgment. God is judging Israel for their idolatry. He says, great time of judgment's coming, but we also see his mercy. Right? He gives a heads up to his people, to those that are elect. He says, this is coming, so you don't have to be a part of that, but get out of Dodge. Like before the, the armies come, leave and get out of there, and then you will be saved. You will find mercy. Well, this is not the first time, right, that judgment and mercy have gone together. We go back to the account of Noah. And remember, the evil in the world was so great that it broke God's heart that he decided he was going to destroy the world. Judgment was coming. But then he's merciful that he saves Noah and his family. We see another time, right, during the Exodus, that Pharaoh has risen to power and he is over the Israelite people and they are his slaves. And God decides that he's going to show up and he's going to judge Egypt. And so his judgment comes through the ten plagues and through uh, the killing of the firstborn. And we see even though through that judgment there's mercy for God saves his people. But all of these Old Testament pictures of pointing of, of God's judgment and mercy commingling together all point to the greatest moment of judgment and mercy commingling together. All of those events point to the cross. Where on the cross, judgment, God's judgment for the sin of the world is placed on Jesus. And there, mercy is extended to you and to me if we would believe in Jesus. What a beautiful thing. And so even here, we see these two things working together, judgment and mercy. And what Jesus is saying is when you see this defilement, let it be a sign to you that you are to respond. In verses 17 through 20, we see these actions. He says, men, women, and children, what you are to do is to flee. Flee to the mountains. Don't turn back to take your cloak if women, if you're pregnant, be prepared and pray that your flight may not happen in winter on the Sabbath. In these verses, we see a sense of urgency. Those who are in Judea must flee from their farms, from their countrysides, from their homes. Don't go back. When you see it happening, just get out of Dodge. Don't go back and get your coat. Don't get, your, don't get some extra things to take with you because you may be caught up in the judgment. Instead, run to the hills. And he knows the difficulty, especially of, of what this would be for those that are carrying a child in their womb or those that would have a young child, how much more difficult it would be. And then he says to pray that it may not happen in the winter. 
for traveling in the winter was devastating and disastrous and treacherous as the rains would come and floods would happen and mud was all over the place. To get to the hills would be dangerous. And he says, also pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath for on the Sabbath, the city gates would be shut and you might not be able to escape. And he says, flee because great tribulation will follow. Great tribulation will follow. And we saw last week that this term tribulation in scripture is a general word referring to hardships or suffering that God's people walk through or pass through in this life. So the word tribulation just means general challenges, general suffering that each one of us goes through. But now Jesus describes what is going to happen in, as the temple is being destroyed in the 70 AD, as Jerusalem's being destroyed, he says that you are to flee the great tribulation. What is going to follow is going to be immense suffering and immense death. For what had happened is that as uh, the Roman Empire is coming along Jerusalem, what they did is they came and they encircled the city. They blocked off any food coming in or going out. And people began to starve. And this war went on for several years. And so people are starving. And then when Titus gave the order, the armies rushed into the city and the people were slaughtered. Ancient historian Josephus describes it in this way. This is how he describes what's taking place in Jerusalem. He's talking about the armies. He says, with their, sword, their swords drawn, they slew those whom they overtook without mercy and they set fire to the houses, whether the Jews were fled and burned every soul in them and laid waste a great many of the rest. And they, when they had come to their houses to plunder them, they found them in them entire families of dead men, and the upper room was full of dead corpses. This is of such that died by the famine. And they stood in a horror at the sight and went out without torching anything. But although they had, um, but though they had this commiseration for such as were destroyed in that manner, Yet had they not the same for those who were still alive, but they ran every one through whom they met with. They obstructed the very lanes with their dead bodies and made the whole city run down with blood to such a degree indeed that the fire of many of the houses was quenched with these men's blood. Not a pretty picture. All told in this, this city, over 110,000 people were slaughtered. This is a horrendous scene that takes place and that Jesus is forecasting and he's foretelling that it is going to happen. Tremendous suffering is going to come. And the suffering didn't just come for those that were in the city. The suffering was also experienced by those that fled. Why? Because those, the, even the elect that fled, they lost their home, they lost their livelihood, they lost everything that they knew. And now they're all alone up in the hills. Suffering is a part of life. But we see that there are times that great suffering takes place. And throughout history, as time progresses closer to return of Jesus, we can be assured that there will be continued times of suffering. There will be times of large spikes of suffering that are more localized and more globalized. We even see it in, in, in our time. 
Or even in American history, as we look back and we see the Revolutionary War, we see the Civil War, we see the World Wars. And so in some sense, what we see is that suffering is collateral, collateral damage for unbridled evil. As evil is left unchecked, what happens is suffering becomes a byproduct of it. The more evil that is in the world, the more suffering that there is. And so some suffering comes in our lives sometimes by the sheer act of someone's evil intentions or evil desires towards us. Sometimes suffering comes as through nature as we see what has taking place in Texas. And sometimes suffering comes by just a way of an accident. I was reminded this week of a woman named Joni Erickson Tata who after, at 17 year old had a very horrendous diving accident that left her a quadriplegic. And since then, she's been suffering daily with pain and good pain continues to increase. And in one sense, as she's struggling with God's goodness and her suffering, she writes this book just to, cry, to give us insight into how the Lord is ministering to her as she is suffering. The title of her book was called A Place of Healing, Wrestling with the Mysteries of Suffering and Pain and God's Sovereignty. And in the book, she says this. She says that suffering is the last frontier Satan exploits to smear the trustworthiness of God. Did you get that? What Satan wants to do is he wants to smear the trustworthiness of God in your life. Maybe you grew up and you were told that when you come to Christ, that your life will be easy and everything will be smooth sailing from here on out. If that's what you were told, you were told a lie because that's not what the Bible says. Remember the words of Jesus, in this world, you will have trouble. As they killed me, they will kill you. So Jesus is very, very clear that we are to expect suffering. And just because we suffer doesn't mean that God is not good. God is still good in the midst of our suffering. Suffering is good because it rids us of self-sufficiency and self-reliance. When we go through difficult times, it causes us to realize that we are not in control. It makes us realize that God is greater and that suffering leads to salvation as we see through Jesus, right? Jesus suffered so that we could be saved. God did not spare his own son, but gave his son to us so that we may be saved. Jesus tells us, tells his disciples specifically, and also tells us today that we are to expect suffering. Don't be surprised when you go through seasons of suffering so that your faith will not be shaken. Don't allow the suffering that we go through to shake your faith in God because he is who he says he is. Not only are we to expect suffering, but second, I want us to see that we are to trust in the sovereignty of God. Verse 22 says this, Jesus is saying, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. As Jesus is describing the terrible days of the siege, he wanted his people to know that they could trust in the character of their God, that he would protect the people, that he would protect his elect. 
God is showing here his sovereign control that it is God that will shorten the days. It is God who will protect his children, children, his chosen children. We see God's ultimate control. If those days had not been cut short, how are those days being cut short? By God. God owns the days, numbers the days. He knows how long his people are going to suffer. God knows your suffering and he knows your suffering has a beginning and your suffering has an end. And your suffering may end in healing in this life and it may end in healing when you go to be with him. But suffering has a definite beginning and it has a definite end and it is all ordered by God and it is a mystery to us many times. But it doesn't mean that God is not in control. God is sovereign over all. I was reading this week about the the frigid waters that surround Greenland. A lot of times what happens in the wintertime is there are countless icebergs uh, that flow in, in the water all around. And at times there there are small icebergs and there are huge icebergs. And you can witness a a strange phenomenon is that sometimes the the large uh, icebergs are flowing in one direction. They're slowly flowing in one direction. And the small icebergs are flowing in an absolutely different direction. It's kind of a strange thing to see. I actually watched a video of it. And it's kind of trippy to your mind because you're seeing these small icebergs going this way and big icebergs going this way. And scientists have have come to understand that what's going on is that the smaller icebergs, because they're smaller, are moved by the wind. So if the wind is moving in this direction, then it has the power to move the smaller icebergs. While the larger icebergs are being moved by the deep current that is underneath. A current that cannot be stopped by the wind. And so I I think that's a beautiful picture of, of the choice that we have in our lives as it deals with God's sovereignty. The wind, if we're a small iceberg, the wind will direct our course. That wind will always be changing and those are the circumstances of life, right? Good circumstances blow us this way. Bad circumstances blow us this way. And the uh, the small iceberg is tossed to and fro and it has no defining direction. But we can choose to be like that of the large iceberg where we rest deeply in the current of God And say, God, I trust in the direction that you're taking me. That huge iceberg being the iceberg of surrender. This is, God, I don't understand. God, I don't know what you're doing. But I know where you are taking me is ultimately good. And so I rest in that. You see, the pressure to fear is real. The pressure to feel to fear current suffering is real and the pressure to fear future suffering is real as well. But it's how we deal with it that determines whether we trust in the sovereignty of God or not. I remember back in 2014 when uh, the Ebola outbreak took place. And I was watching the news and I was watching the reports and, and I'd seen some movies back in the day about Ebola uh, outbreaks and how it can dev- devastate cities and how it can quarantine compu- uh, com- uh, total communities as people pass it among one another and how it's so deadly and how it just, just kills your body. And all those images are running into my head and I remember allowing them to shake me on the inside. And I began to fear I remember thinking to myself, what happens if I have to watch my child suffer from this? 
I, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I, can, if, I, if I can watch and have to be separated from my child as they suffer and I can't do anything about it. I, 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 don't know, I, I don't know what it'll be like if I have to suffer and my kids have to watch me die. I don't know what that'll look like. And fear began to take hold of my life. And there was one time it was about, I don't know, 3.30 in the morning. I couldn't sleep, and I was awake. I was awakened the whole night, and I just couldn't sleep. I just couldn't get peace. I just couldn't get rest. And it was almost like the stillness of God's voice said, Jeff, why are you afraid? Don't you trust in my sovereignty? I mean, for years, I've been a pastor for years. I've, 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 to, I've taught on the sovereignty of God and I believed in the sovereignty of God. But in that moment, I had allowed fear to creep in. And in that moment, in my place of restlessness, I surrendered it to God. And it was like this amazing release of just saying, I don't have to carry that. Like, I don't know that how many days I have in this life, but I know who knows my days. And I can fully trust in him. And when I, when I released it to him, his, his presence and his peace overwhelmed me once again. I want you to know we don't have to walk through this life in fear. You may, for the rest of your life, walk through a time of peace. You, you may not see great devastations. You may not see great suffering. And if that's the case, praise God. But God may have, as a part of your plan, as a part of your path, immense suffering. And I want you to be aware of that so that your faith is not shaken. Don't, when suffering comes, think as though there's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. Just rest in the fact that God is in control. This is the lesson that Jesus is telling his disciples on this day. You're going to see some really bad things. People that you love are going to die. But that doesn't mean that I'm not in control. It doesn't mean that I'm not with you. It just means that I'm carrying out my plan which leads to the consummation of my kingdom and the redemption of people. Expect suffering, trust in God's sovereignty, and third, realize that Jesus' return will be unmistakable. Look with me in verse 23. I love this. And he says, Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even elect. See if I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out there. If they say, look, he is in the inner room, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Jesus gives us this beautiful picture of his return. And, but he gives us this teaching too. When we walk through suffering, our hearts will be tempted to look to someone or something to save us. Or our hearts will be tempted to turn to someone that will tell us what we want to hear. And this is why Jesus is saying, he warns the disciples and he warns us today, when you go through difficult times, don't look for false Christs. 
Don't look for people that are claiming that they can bring about salvation in your life. When people, when you hear voices or new messages of hope, don't listen to them. Because these are, do not come from God. Even if they perform great signs and wonders, don't follow them, but be rooted in the truths of God's word. And he says, what will happen? Many will believe and many will be led astray, even believers. I was reading this week more from Josephus as he's giving his account of these Jewish wars. And one of the things that he said was uh, running rampant through this time were, were a bunch of conspiracy theories. He says one of these conspiracy theories was that Titus, Titus was the, the leader of the Roman, Roman uh, armies that was sacking uh, Jerusalem. They were saying that he was the Messiah that the Caesar had set up. And he even goes so far as to say all the gospel accounts, this Jesus figure, this Messiah, is actually Titus. And you and I know that's, that's crazy talk, right? But people believed it. People believed that this Titus was the Messiah that was to come. And so it's so easy. The lesson from that is it's so easy to be led astray. It's so easy to want to have quick answers. It's so easy for us to listen to talking heads and allow them to inform our lives and how we feel and what we're afraid of. When in reality, we should listen to the words of Jesus to comfort us. Jesus is coming back. Jesus promises that he's gonna come back and when he comes, he will bring peace to the suffering and he says this next time he comes, he's not coming in obscurity. He's not coming as a, a baby in a manger. He's not coming in, in a hidden place out in the wilderness. He's not coming in some small upper room, but he's coming as lightning. Like this picture we see here, and we're gonna see it more next week. He says, for as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. When Jesus comes again, it will be unmistakable. It will be impossible to ignore the fact that he's coming. You will see. It doesn't matter where you are on this earth. You will see that he's returning. Can we get an amen? He is coming back. That will mark the end of our suffering. The end of the suffering for those that believe. It will be unmistakable. But yet, according to verse 28, even this will be missed by the spiritually dead. Instead, their dead will, will attract the others like vultures. This is imagery of just saying that some will be so spiritually blind that they will miss the spiritual implications of Jesus' return. Let us not live like that. False Christ, false prophets will continue to appear in the world until Jesus returns. And these words that Jesus gives us, um, gives us insights so that we should know that we should be testing everything. Test everything that we hear against the truths of Scripture. Test everything that I say against the truths of Scripture because we can easily be led astray. Think about the sermons that you're listening to. Think about the books that you're reading. Think about the articles that you're reading. Think about the things that you're watching. All of those things are influencing you. 
And if you're not guarding yourself against, guarding yourselves against the things that they're teaching you, then you're opening yourself up to be led astray. This is not a time for the church. It's not a time for you and I to sit back and allow people to inform us with truth, but allow God to inform us with his truth. So in the end, let us be reminded that Jesus says that, that we'll go through seasons of suffering and that doesn't mean that he's not in control, but it means that as we suffer well, and we trust in the sovereignty of God, we hold on to the fact that he's coming back again. The only place that you're gonna be able to find peace in this world is in Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you've never called on the name of the Lord and found salvation. If that's you, I wanna encourage you to come talk to me after the service and I'd love for you to share with you how you can know Jesus. But for some of us, maybe you've been walking through this season of your life and you are going through a season of suffering and you've been tempted like to give in and ask yourselves the questions, is God really good? Like if God is really good, why is he allowing these things to happen? Well, that's the wrong question. Never ask the question why. When we go through seasons of suffering, the proper question to ask is what? God, what would you have me do? How would you have me be faithful as I'm walking through this season of suffering? See how that changes our perspective? It doesn't put the blame on God, but it helps us be on mission with God. Or maybe you're here and you've been walking through a season where you're afraid of suffering. You're, you're afraid of the unknown. You're afraid of the things that are to come or the possibilities of things that may happen in the future. Let me remind you, the greatest place you can go is putting your faith and trust back in Jesus. He holds your future. And yes, suffering may be a part of the future, but that doesn't mean that God is not good. Let's respond to the word of the Lord today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Father, we thank you that in your word, we see how you delicately balance judgment and mercy. And Father, we know that there is coming a final judgment where each person that you gave breath to will be judged based on their life. And Father, we know that those that have not found faith in Jesus, they will receive your judgment for eternity. But Father, this is the season of mercy. Right now is the season of mercy where we have the opportunity to turn to you. So Father, may you use us that have received your mercy already to be and your ambassadors. Help us to communicate clearly the gospel to those that you've placed in our lives. And Father, for those that today that are in this place that are walking through a season of suffering. Father, I pray that you'd come close to them. That you would reignite their passion for you and allow them to be reminded that you have not left them. You have not turned your back on them, but that you're walking with them through the valley of the shadow of death. 
And Father, for those that are here, that are walking through the season of life where they're fearing the future, where they're scared of the unknown, Father, would you give them the opportunity today just to surrender that to you? Surrender their future to you. Surrender their whole lives to your plans so they can be faithful. Father, help us to respond to the words that we've heard from you today in a way that will honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.